Well, good morning. I would ask you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are this morning as we are continuing our unique study of, uh, of the incarnation of Jesus. I was asked at one point, why are we studying Christmas this way? wasn't asked in a bad way, but just curious, rather than just reviewing the story. And, uh, and every once in a while, I just think it's good to, to remember that, that, uh, that though in this season of Christmas people celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, the reality is that um, what we're really talking about is the incarnation of God in this world. And that incarnation was so incredible, so intense, it's, it's bigger than just celebrating a birthday party. It's actually peering into the God of this universe who's invaded His creation and, and took up residency to tackle life's most prominent issues. And, uh, and every once in a while, it's just good to kind of take a big, big look at this and to say, what is the incarnation. What does it mean that Christ came into this world? And, and what were the impact? And we've already looked at the first couple weeks ago, we looked at, at the, the, the issue of what about the future? How does the incarnation tackle what our future is going to be like? And we looked at the fact that Jesus came into this world and he began the process of bringing out God's eternal end, which would be a union between heaven and earth, the spiritual and the physical, and this incredible reality of, of what the kingdom is going to be like when it comes into fruition. And then last week we looked at the issue of what went wrong in the world. What's going on? We looked at all the, what is evil and what is really the heart of evil. And then we saw how Christ, His entrance into the world, deals with evil. Today we're going to answer the question, what's the point of life? And, and this is a, a, an incredibly powerful question. And whether you know it or not, it drives every human being from the moment they're born to the moment they die. The issue of what is the point of life? And where do we seek the point of life? Where, do we, where are we looking to find the point of life? Let me illustrate this with something I might have shared a few years ago. I can't remember. It's really somewhat kind of an embarrassing, dumb story about myself. But I'll share it anyways. Hopefully you won't lose respect of me after the end of the story. But when I was in junior high, we called it junior high then, middle school now, right? But when I was 7th and 8th grade, disco was at its peak. Okay, disco was just at the top. And, and, and for those of you who were alive then, no. I mean, disco was not just a musical style, it was a way of life. Right? I mean, it, 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 it governed the way people dressed and the way they talked. I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon. Now, I didn't like the style of music, but, uh, but you know, the culture was moving into disco. And, and, uh, and for one, one Christmas, I got the ultimate shirt. And now mine, I'm like seventh, eighth grade, you know. I got the ultimate disco shirt. It was a blue crushed velour pullover shirt with a V-neck. Just picture Neil Diamond, okay, like that kind of shirt. Okay, so it's this crushed velour. And, and I wore that thing, and I was in style, okay, in style. Great shirt. Something happened between my eighth grade year in my freshman year, disco died a quick, hard death. I don't know what happened. There was no internet, no email then, so no one updated me. I didn't know it died. It just died. So now I'm a freshman in high school. I decide I want to look cool one day. 
I put on my blue crush velour pullover v-neck shirt. And, and I walked in. Now, I went to a big high school, about 3,700 students, you know, so big. I'm a freshman, walking in, putting stuff in my locker. I got this blue shirt on. And, oh, it was this barrage of seniors. Hey, disco boy. And, you know, a bunch of things. I mean, it was bad. It was nasty. I mean, it was like, whoa, okay, this is no longer in style. So I ran to the lobby of our school. We had a bunch of pay phones there. And uh, I quickly called my mom, Collect. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody over 40, okay? I call her, Collect. And, which, you know, she's not too happy about that, you know, she's got a, you know, collect call from her son, so of course she's going to take it, what happened, but I don't know, it was like 50 cents for that call or whatever, so probably more, you know, and I said, mom, you got to bring me a new shirt. She felt no urgency on that phone call at all. There was like, there was no drive to say, hey, my son's wearing a shirt that's a year out of style, and so I don't remember if she brought a shirt or not. But what I remember, though, was the fact that she was more upset about the collect call than about my fashion faux pas. And so I hung up the phone, not happy with her, ran into my gym locker and put on my gym shirt because I would rather wear a smelly gym shirt all day than a shirt that was out of style. And so I put that on, and I don't remember how the rest of it ended. Now, what happened there? What was going on? Of course, there's a lot of pressure at that moment, right? You're 14 years old. The last thing you want to be doing is walking around public high school with a shirt that's clearly out of style because, like, when disco died, it, like, blew up, right? It, it just ended a, just this you know, big explosion, and it was, like, the worst thing in the world. And so now you're walking around wearing something that's clearly not just slightly out of style but, like, grossly out of style. Now you're 14. What are you going to do at that moment? You do not want to be walking around in front of 3,700 other kids in this state. So what's going on in my heart at that moment? I am feeling scared. I'm feeling vulnerable. I I'm clearly want to be accepted, right? I don't want to walk through high school and be hated. So there's all these things going on inside of you. Now, what was driving all of those feelings? Well, actually, the, what was driving all of those feelings is this question, the point of life. What's the point of life? Now, how, what is the connection between that experience and, and the point of life? Why don't you think about something? The default mindset of our existence, the default mindset of our existence, is to find our purpose in either A, excitement, right? Excitement, that's one way we can find it, right? We, we're, we're trying to look for an adrenaline rush, that's why some people steal. That's why some people do drugs. That's why some people get drunk. That's why some people get involved with consumerism, just buying things. They love the joy of getting something new and then getting something new and getting something new, and they're addicted to purchasing things. Right? They love that. There's this excitement that goes on, this life that they feel that they're getting. Some people try to pursue that. Other people, their pursuit, their default mindset is to pursue relationships, they have to be accepted by people. They always have to have a boyfriend, or they always have to have a girlfriend, or they always have to be liked by people. And everywhere they go, how do people feel about me drives them. That can be a, a default mindset. A third mindset that we can have is that we could look for status, position, purpose. I want to be the best 
football player, the best businessman. I want to have all the trappings of success because I want to be successful. I'm driven to be successful. I'm driven to be the top. I'm, I'm driven for, to find my, my, my mark, and I want to make a mark, you know, find my purpose in this world and, and make my mark so the whole world can see how great I am. Now, you see, what all, what's behind all three of those pursuits is the issue of purpose. What's the meaning of life? Is the meaning of life to feel alive? Is the meaning of life to be liked by people? Is the meaning of life to find some status and position and make your mark in this world? What's the meaning of life? Well, the reality is the default is you're searching for meaning in excitement or in relationships or in status. And the reality is none of those things can give that. And that's why you go after it more and more and more, and that's why it never goes anywhere. The people didn't love me any more or less because of the shirt I was wearing, and if I thought that the shirt I was wearing would give me ultimate purpose and satisfaction, that's a fool's errand. Doesn't make sense. You're not going to find life in those things. You see, the point of life is not to find the point of life in culture. The point of life is to find the point of life in Christ. He's the point of life. The incarnation of Jesus brought into this world the reality that Christ came in to give us meaning. Christ came in to give us life. Christ came in to give us a place in this world. When He came into this world, He was literally giving us life I don't need to seek it in excitement and thrills and drugs and alcohol and sex and everything else. Christ came in to give me life. Christ came into this world to give me a a place, to give me a place to stand, a place to belong. Christ came into this world to give me purpose and meaning. Now my default is to find all of those things in culture. But when we go into culture, culture will never give them to us. They'll never give it to us. Only Christ can. So what we're going to look at today is how Christ gives us these things. What we're going to look at today is how Christ gives us life, how Christ gives us belonging, how Christ gives us purpose. How the incarnation of Jesus came to bring about these things so that we can be set free from living that kind of life. Set free from worried about whether or not my shirt is in style or anything else. Pursuing all of the fool's errands of of the world because the world's thinking it's giving you life and belonging and purpose, but in reality, it's not. And it can't. It can't. But Christ gives it all to us. So we're going to look at this today. And my intention for us is to to reinforce this reality for you, that the point of life is to not find the point of life in culture. But the point of life is to find the point of life in Christ. And I'm just going to keep going over that as we go through this. So we're going to look at it here in Ephesians 2. Very powerful passage where Paul lays this out for us. Let me go ahead and read for you, though, um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to start looking at verse 4, but just to set the context. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now the first thing I want to show you here as we jump into this is the fact that Jesus gives us life. The incarnation came to give us life. Look at verse 4 right there. Notice what he says. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us. Now we'll stop there. In verses 1-3, through it's pretty clear what he's saying. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following after the course of this world. We thought the shirts that we were wearing were going to give us meaning and purpose and status in life. We thought money was going to be the answer. We thought buying things was going to be the answer. We followed after the course of this world and we discovered that all it did was reinforce that we were spiritually dead. It gave us nothing. It gave us nothing. We were dead. And we were by nature children of wrath because we were living outside of the glory of God. And as a result, we, we deserve to be judged by God. That's where we were. But then we get verse 4. Notice what it says. But God. That little conjunction, but, very important. In fact, I think that's like the most important conjunction in the Bible right there. If you're ever going to get excited about grammar, this is the place. Right? If grammar bores you, this is the one spot where it should absolutely excite you. Because but is a contrast, right? But is a contrast. And so what's being said? We were by nature children of wrath. We thought the answer of life was in our own identity, in our own money, in our own pleasure, in our own self. We were walking after this world thinking we're going to let disco set the stage for us, for our meaning and purpose. And that's so offensive to God. But God, He was different. And He did something that would blow you away. But God, notice what it says, being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, meaning He has more mercy than we have sin. Think about that. Now what's mercy? Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. So as soon as you see but God being rich in mercy, and this right before that what's said, we were what? We were, these, the, we were by nature children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy. Having more mercy than we had sin that deserved His wrath. With the great love with which He loved us. Now, love is what? Love is the ability of always doing what's best for the other person. So when you have mercy and love together, and you have these, these, these descriptions, right? Rich in mercy, great love. Paul's trying to paint a picture here. We were thinking that the answer was in the world, away from God, and God was saying, but you know what? I am just going to love you and not give you the wrath you deserve. That's who I am. This great love, this mercy, and this kindness that He has towards us. Right? This great love with which He loved us. What did He do? Look at verse 5. 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What you have to catch there is that with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now here we are, spiritually dead. We're not, we're not looking to God for acceptance, right? We, we, we wake up in the morning and our flesh says, hey, listen, you should find your identity in the fact that you have a relationship with someone. You feel lonely right now, you should go look for, for, for life in other people. You feel insecure right now, so maybe you should try to work harder and be a stronger athlete so that everybody gets your... T- you know, you, you, don't, you, you, you want to set yourself apart from the world. You want to be known as a, as a good worker and make money and drive a BMW and all the... Right? That, that's where our flesh leads us. That's offensive to God. Because God's saying, you're dead, and you're going to continue to look at things that are dead to give you life? That makes no sense. Right? That's just as silly as having the stomach flu thinking that eating rotten pork will help. Right? I know it's rancid. But I wanted to show you just how silly it is. You would never do that. Yet we think, find our answer in this, and find our answer in this, and find our life in this. It's so horrible. We're dead, and we keep pursuing death to find life. But God, in His mercy, said, you know what I'm going to do? Rather than punish you for that, I'm going to unite you with Christ. That's what I'm going to do. So think about this. Christ comes into the world. What does He do? He lives this perfect life. He dies he takes God's wrath in our place, and he winds up in a tomb for three days, right? On the third day, what happened? God raised him from the dead. So there was a power that infused that body that actually brought life back to that body. Here's what Paul is saying. That life that infused Christ at the moment of the resurrection, he will give to you. That's His mercy. Do you see how silly it is to find life in other things? Would you rather have life found in drugs and alcohol and consumerism or would you rather have the power that raised Christ from the dead? That's what he's saying. You get life when you're in Christ. He came into this world to unite you to the power that raised Christ. And it's all by grace. It's all by grace. You don't earn it. You don't have to work towards it. You don't have to, you don't have to become something. You don't have to have good looks or strengths or natural ability. It is by grace. Meaning what? Grace is giving you something that you do not deserve. So we have these terms, mercy, God withholding what you deserve. Love, God saying, I'm going to do what's best for you. Grace, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And you know what he gives us? Life. Life. Christ came into the world to give us life. I can't think of any greater news to tell somebody. Tell somebody who's addicted to all kinds of stuff that this world addicts us to. To say, you want to get out of that? You want life? You want to be set free? Because you're going down a spiral that's not going to set you free. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. And He's willing to unite you with the very power that raised Christ from the dead. You see, we get life. But there's something else we get in Jesus. 
in addition to life, we also get belonging. We get belonging. Notice what he says in verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he says you've been raised up and seated in the heavenly places. Now, I know that that is is strange to think about, but but just for a moment, just kind of allow yourself to to grasp the the bigness of this. This is huge. We're standing right here, right? I'm not in heaven right now. But here's what he's saying. Your status, your position, your heart, your soul is now in union with me, with the Trinity. When you pray, your prayers go right to the throne room of God. Your status in life is you are now a child with God. You are now connected to the one who rules the universe. You are united with him. You've been delivered from darkness and you've been set in a place where you're now part of God. You're not God, okay? Don't, Don't let that fool you. But he's accepted you within him. I can pray and know my prayers are heard. I have a union with him where I know he's not going to reject me. I'm not trying to earn his favor. I'm not trying to work and say, oh, God, I I better keep on your good side anymore. He's saying, I'm seating you with me, man. Welcome, son. I'm not going to kick you out. You're mine now. Forever, nothing will ever separate you from me. You've got a place with me. You've got a seat at the table. That's what he's saying. You've got a place to belong And this place to belong is for all eternity. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now He's talking about heaven. A few weeks ago, if you were here, we we looked at that. We looked at what is the future of the world going to be like? The future of the world is that heaven and earth unite, create this place where the spiritual dimension, the physical dimension are all one. So you can stand in the very presence of God Himself and enjoy fellowship with Him and then sit over here and eat an apple with me. These two worlds will unite. And He's saying, when we get into that place and we're able to stand in the presence of God and have a place of belonging, have a place of of meaning, to be accepted among the beloved forever, we're going to be saying, man, you have got an immeasurable amount of riches. Your grace is so huge. This gift is going on forever and ever and it never goes away. I was thinking about this in relation to Hollywood. I was thinking about people who strive to make it in Hollywood, right? They want to have a place there. And let's say someone makes it and they work hard and they become the center of it all. They're on every magazine cover, they're in every movie, they're making, you know, billions of dollars, they're on every talk show, everyone knows their name, everyone's buying their products, they're in the center of it all. But how long does that last? Let me toss out a couple of names for you. Do a little Hollywood test. Basil Rothbone. That name mean anything to you? Bonita Granville. Norma Shearer. In 1936, they were in the center of Hollywood. And only you who like black and white movies were shaking your head. Other than that, you have no clue who these people are. No clue. They're not the center of anything. No girl walks in to Aeropostale and says, give me the Tess Harper outfit. They don't know who Tess Harper is. She was up for an Academy Award in 1986. 
But you have no idea who she is. Some of you might. You know who she is. Here's my point. You can make it and have a sense of belonging for maybe a decade in Hollywood. And then you set aside. You go from a, you, you are cool, to a, you were cool. It's over. He's saying, listen, I'm going to seat you in the heavenlies. Christ came to seat us in the heavenlies for all eternity. So that in the age to come, you'll just be going, God, you are so awesome, I cannot believe. I'm never, ever apart from you. You see, purpose, or I'm, I'm sorry, belonging comes from Jesus. He came into this world so that He would not only give us life, provide the means and the very life that we could partake of, He also then came to say, listen, this life I give you unites you to the Father and you're now part of His body and His family for all eternity. This is why it's so dumb to try to find your belonging in people or in culture. To try to find your place and whether or not you have someone in your life or to try to find your place as to whether or not you're accepted or try to find your place and whether or not you have achieved some level of success in this world. Because this world doesn't care. This world does not care. I met a man one time who started a company, turned it into a multi-million dollar company. Had his office on the top floor, corner office, the whole deal. Just made a lot of money. He was the top of his market. He retired. A year later, he retired, sold the company. A year later, he decides he wants to come back after he's retired just to go visit the company. It's a company he started. He built the building. He walks in the door, security guard there in the company, and the security guard says, sir, may I help you? He says, I'm so-and-so. He says, yes. He goes, well, I started this company. And the kid goes, yeah, right. He goes, no, really. He goes, the kid goes, you need a badge to get in here. Like, I started this company. Well, we have a new procedure now. Unless you have a badge, you're not allowed in. The kid didn't even know who he was. The guy spent his whole life building up an empire, and an $8.50 security guard won't let him in the front door a year and a half later. You see how futile it is to try to find your purpose in this world or to find your meaning and your acceptance. He said Christ came into this world to do what? To lift us up and to seat us with the Father so that for all eternity we'd give glory to Him because He's given us a seat at the table that will never end. The incarnation is about Christ coming to give us life, to give us belonging. But there's one more thing that the incarnation has done. The incarnation has come into this world to give us purpose. To give us purpose. Notice verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you'll notice, a little Bible study tip here, whenever you see the word for... Generally, a rationale is coming. Something's being explained. Now, Paul has already told us something. He's told us that, hey, listen, man, God has made you alive, and God has given you a seat at a table so that all eternity you'll be with Him giving praise to God. And now he's going to explain and unpack the reality of that, what that practically means. And so he says, here's the rationale. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not something you've earned. You think about it in Hollywood, you've got to have looks and talents, and, or in sports, you've got to have you know, natural ability, and, and th- you've got to have all these things. And he's saying, listen, to, to, be, to be given life, to be given a, a place of belonging, comes what? By grace through faith. It, it comes by those who say, listen, I don't have a God. You do. And I'm coming to you for it. And I believe you'll give it to me. I believe you'll give me life. I believe you'll rescue me from this death. And I believe you'll rescue me from seeking my place from this culture. And I want the place in you. And I want the life in you. And he says, guess what? It comes as a gift of God. God's response to that prayer is not, here's what you need to do then. If you want forgiveness, and if you want life, and if you want purpose, here are the 12 things you need to do. And if you don't do these 12 things, then you won't have it. That's not his response. His response is, yours. Here you go. Giving it to you. It's by grace. I'm giving it to you, not because you deserve it, but because I give it. I have it, it's yours. And then he goes on to say, but there's even more to it than that. If you just look then at verse 10, he says, the next explanation for we are his workmanship. You see, I don't want to boast and say, I earned this, I did this, I followed the seven steps to, 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 to be at peace with God, and therefore I earned it. No, God, you get all the glory. And then, not only that, we are his workmanship. He created us for something. This is, to me, exciting. Some people get a little put off by this, but I get excited about this. If you look at verse 10, let me read it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So my expanded less than translation is, before there was dirt, God envisioned you and created you to carry out a purpose that he divinely ordered. Which means you're not here by accident. It means you're not here just kind of flopping around like a fish out of water trying to figure out God has a plan. And that plan is going to be a plan that's going to carry out to his glory in the end because he's going to pour out riches and grace and mercy upon us. And we're going to give praise to him, but we're also going to be used by him. Because that's how God works. God uses his creation. He uses his creation. Now, I find hope in that because now I don't have to necessarily try to stress out about my meaning and purpose in life. I can say, God, you made me for a purpose. This is so cool. I'm not here by accident. So now the big question is, how do you find that purpose? Right? That's the, that's the $24,000 question. How do, how do we find that purpose in life? It's so tempting to close in prayer here and just move on, you know. To leave you hanging, but, but I won't. I want to just tell you two things you can think about that can help you find that purpose. Because notice what he says. These purposes were prepared beforehand, meaning before creation, that we should walk in them. God wants you to carry these purposes out. Now, how do we do this? I'm going to give you kind of two, two angles of this. Two things you can think about to help you Get your mind around it. Break it down a little bit into two pieces so you can get it. I believe the first piece in finding my, uh, my purpose is to 
ask this question. What are God's purposes for the world in creation? What are God's purposes? Because I know one thing. If He's created me for a purpose, that purpose has to be connected to His. The second piece, and we're going to unpack both these in a second here. The second piece then is to say, okay, God, what have you given me, and how can those things be aligned to your purposes? Now, we'll talk about that. Let's look at the first one. What are God's purposes? If you were to study the book of Ephesians, we did this a few uh, year and a half ago or so, and you could look at it um, uh, again. I identify, I believe there's five statements about God and his purposes in the book of Ephesians. And I think these five give us an understanding of what God's doing in this world. Let me give them to you. These are five things. God's existence and what he's doing in the world. First one is this. God exists to build a body. What does that mean? God is calling people from every tribe and every nation and making them into into the church. And this church is to exist to be unified and to care for each other and to love each other. To seek its best, not its destruction. It's to seek its best. So when things go wrong here, the point isn't to go run around and try to tear it down behind its back, but to go do what's best, to build it up. This is what God's doing. He's building a church. So God is involved with building a body of people that would be united for his glory. We read that in Ephesians. Second thing that we read is that God exists to reveal his righteousness. God is putting his righteousness, his holiness on display. That's why Ephesians says, listen, don't participate in the deeds of darkness. Expose them. Don't find your joy in the things God hates. Expose those things as things God hates because God is revealing his righteousness to the world. He's revealing his glory. He makes his glory known. Second thing. Third thing we read in Ephesians is that God exists to show grace and mercy to people. We've seen that here. God loves people and he shows grace and mercy and mercy constantly. Rich grace, abundant mercy is flowing from him. Fourth thing, God exists to advance his kingdom in the world. He's seeing it move. Paul's going out. Pray for me that doors would open. You know, just this movement of God. God is not just sitting there just wanting everything just to stay in the Middle East. He's wanting to go to the world. This thing's pressing on. And finally, God exists to make his name known among the nations. This gospel, the, the presence, the glory of Jesus is going to be proclaimed among the nations. So, now if we see these five things that we see, he's building a body, revealing his righteousness, showing grace, showing mercy, advancing his kingdom, making his name known. I have to recognize something. Whatever I do is somehow got to be connected to that, Right? God's purpose is, you know, he's not going to create me for a purpose that's outside of what he's doing. So now the next question is, what do I do with this? Well, first thing I want to do then is I want to say, God, make those five things part of my DNA. Make me live for those things. It's amazing how little we live for those things. If you really analyze, you know, one way you could find out is write down everything you do Every 30 minutes. Every 30 minutes, set an alarm and write down what you just did the previous 30 minutes. It's a really convicting exercise. You will see how little time we actually spend on this and why we need to say, God, align my heart towards this. 
Align my heart towards this. Make those five things my five things. When I get up in the morning, God, make that thing right there in front of me so I live for those five things. But then the second thing, I believe, finding that purpose is to say, okay, God, align how you made me towards those gifts, towards those things. I'll give you a silly example, just personal one. I like to read and I like to talk, right? You're around me long enough, you know that. I don't sit quiet very often. I like to read, I like to talk. So, practically how I've applied this is I say, okay, God, allow my love of books and my love of talking to be used for your kingdom. So when I'm with somebody that I've just met, you know what question I ask them? Have you read any good books? And if they're a reader, they tell me. And I say, what do you like about that book? Anything speak to you in that book? What do you think about the main character of that book? What do you think that book says about life? I just start asking them questions. And you know what happens? I don't know, a third of the time, I get into some very meaningful conversations that oftentimes end up talking about God and His purposes and Christ. What I'm doing, I'm just aligning my love for books and my love for talking and talking about books to meeting people. It's not that hard, is what I'm saying. There's no huge classes you need to take. You're just saying, God, whatever is in me, align that to those five purposes. If your love is music, if your love is gardening, if your love is golf, I don't care. Whatever it is, you can align to this. And that's the heart of this thing. Because here's the point. When we get into to, 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 to recognizing our purpose, God has gifted us with passions, desires, and skills. They're all different. So that we can in, go into this world and utilize those passions and skills along those five things that I mentioned earlier. And suddenly, that becomes much more fulfilling than working for a BMW or working for money or working for freedom or working for a beach house or working for time or working for space or working for all these things that never satisfy. If God gave you every one of your fleshly desires, all you would say after that is, what's next? Because we don't find the answer to the stomach flu in rancid pork. And we cannot find life in more death. Christ came into the world, Christ came into the world to give us life, to give us a place, to give us purpose. And so this Christmas, my challenge for you is to recognize the point of life is not to find the point of life in culture. The point of life is to find the point of life in Jesus Christ. And when we see that and we cry out by faith, His grace and His mercy gives us life, gives us a place, gives us a purpose, and then we can say, God, align me to that purpose. Align who you made me to that purpose. So why don't we pray to that end right now? Would you join me in prayer? Father, I come before you today just in awe of your grace and your mercy that you have done this great thing in us. You've given us life. You've united us with Jesus. The power that raised him from the dead is ours. Lord, how silly it is that we try to find life in in consumerism or we try to find life in in drugs and alcohol or immorality or pleasure. Those things don't give life. 
It's just more death. And Lord, we try to find our place in this world by what people think of us, by our status, by our relationship status. It's out there. It's on the social networking sites. And the status of this and the status of that. And yet it's, it's just more death. Lord, thank you for seating us, giving us a place at your temple, a place with you that will never end. And Lord, may we then out of that find our meaning and purpose, not in what makes us happy, but in using how you've made us to align it to what you're doing in this world. Lord, may we rest in that and realize it's not hard. You've given us gifts, abilities, desires, talents. They're all different so that we could reach more people. So Lord, may our hearts be aligned to what your words revealed about you, that our purposes would be found in that. Thank you for the incarnation of Jesus. He's the point of life. I thank you for that. May that fill us with joy, unspeakable joy. In Christ's name, amen.